0: Hi friends, how are we doing? Well, I'm glad you're here. I'll say next week is the beginning of a message series we do from time to time called God and the Movies. In this series, we'll use some of Hollywood's stories to illustrate God's story with us. We're going to pop a little popcorn, show a few movie clips, and dig deep into the scriptures. Now, year after year, we found this series offers a great opportunity to invite your friends to church, so think and pray about whom you could invite to join us for this year's God and the movie series. As that series approaches, there are a few ways you can help us. Uh, First, as people return from vacations. Our weekend services uh, typically increase in attendance, especially during the movie series. We welcome the growth, but there are challenges that come with that growth. One of the greatest challenges we face is parking. We are grateful for the angled spaces that we have throughout our neighborhood. However, the spaces are too few and too far away. So here is my request to you. You've heard me make it before if you regularly attend Capitol, what am I asking you to do? Park far, park far away. Uh, by doing so, you will free up spaces near the building, making it easier for guests and for others who need closer spaces, closer parking. Here's what I'm saying. The farther away you park, the closer you are to God. <laughs> now, when I make this request... I'm not talking to guests. I'm not talking to parents with small children. I'm not talking to anyone with a health concern or anyone with any apprehension of walking up that hill. No, in fact, we are freeing up the space with you and mind. I, I was teasing about the closer to God line, but this really is a simple but significant way to love others in our community. So thanks for serving one another. Here's another thing you can do. Consider sitting in one of our first couple rows. We try to leave seats at the back for latecomers, for parents with young children, for folks who might need to leave it in the middle of the service. Finding at a seat at the front will really help our seating volunteers come in and cram in. Uh, I don't bite, by the way. I spit, but I don't bite, and I would welcome you on one of our first rows. Finally, as I said last Sunday, and this one's a big ask, would you consider joining us for one of our Saturday services. By inviting more of you to attend on Saturday, we're hoping to free up a little room in our two Sunday services. We know there may be barriers for you, work schedules and family commitments and young children with naps. Uh, attending Saturdays may not be good for you or for your family spiritual formation, so I'm not talking to you. Uh, but for others, we, we love it. Could you adjust your routine? Could you tweak your tradition as our community grows? Talk to your friends. Make it a group thing. Make it a family night. Make it a date night during this, this season of our community's journey together. Our Saturday services are 445 in Park City, 615 here in Salt Lake. Uh, now, this morning, I would like to share with you from a psalm, Psalm 1, before we turn to the scriptures. Let's invite God to speak. Lord, as we come together to study this psalm, some of us come to you with anticipation. Some of us come to you in desperation. But all of us need you. We need you to shape our souls so that we can experience the abundant life you promised. We need you to shape our souls so those around us may experience abundant life when they interact with us. We need you, so we seek you. Help us seek you with all our hearts. We pray this in the name of King Jesus. Amen. Today I want to talk to you about your passions. What are you passionate about? I'm passionate about a good steak. There's nothing like a ribeye grilled medium over an open flame. I like my ribeye with a side of ribeye. Passionate about steak. But I'm not beholden to a particular cut of meat. I love a good tri-tip as well. Grilled to Santa Maria perfection, preferably over red oak logs. You can't go wrong with a tri-tip. I have a deep affection for Mexican food. I grew up around a particular type of Mexican food known as Tex-Mex, which probably isn't really Mexican food, but it's easily identified by its heavy use of cheese and meat, and it's wonderful. I love Mexican food. I love Italian food. I'll take pesto, Alfredo, carbonara. Are you familiar with carbonara? Key ingredients to an authentic carbonara. Eggs, cheese and bacon but as much as I love the savory my heart belongs to the sweet some days I long for a fresh-baked chocolate chip cookie who am I kidding all days I long for a fresh-baked chocolate chip cookie if a chocolate chip cookie is unavailable I will settle for a double chocolate chip cookie if all else fails I will reach for a triple chocolate chip cookie These are a few of my passions. Do you see a motif? See, friends, I don't need to be entertained. I just need to be fed. (laughs) Food equals entertainment. Some years ago, I, I coined an expression that encapsulates my culinary philosophy. It governs all my dining decisions, especially when I'm on vacation. In fact, if I were a motivational speaker, my keynote speech as a communicator might be based upon this axiom. Maximize your meals. (laughs) Say this with me. Maximize your meals. Take it in and internalize it. Here's the principle. If you are going to eat out at a restaurant, then you have a God-given responsibility to choose wisely. You've got to find the best restaurant that balances quality, quantity, and service. If you've got to drive 10 more minutes for the better meal, then for the sake of all that is good and right in the world, drive 10 more minutes. Maximize your meals. Question. Do you think this proverb and my accompanying passion have an impact on how I leverage my time and money and vacations. That's because our passions predict our paths. We're going to say it another way, your delights determine your direction. To understand the significance of this observation, we'll turn to the first psalm, the psalmist opens the Psalter with a simple observation, verse 1, blessed is the one i want to stop right here, because the first word gets my attention. This psalm is about to tell us what kind of men and women are blessed. In Hebrew, it's the word ashere. Ashere is a heightened state of joy and well-being. It means fortunate. It's a Judeo-Christian way of saying lucky. Some contemporary translations read happy is the man, which is pretty close to the original meaning as long as we understand it not it's not merely about emotions. It's not just about how someone feels. It's about how someone really is. The blessed life is a life of well-being. It means things are going to work out because God will work them out. The paraphrase, the message offers this translation. How well God must like you. Blessed. ashray It's what we're all looking for. ashray is the American dream and more. It's why we work so hard. It's why we play so hard. Ashray is a state of true happiness and fulfillment. What if we could actually walk in it? What if we lived with a pervasive sense of joy and well-being each day? Someone tells us how. Verse 1, blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked, or stand in the way that sinners take, or sit in the company of mockers. Do you see the parallelism here? Verse 1 features what's called a tricolon three lines that stand in comparison. So for interpretational purposes, we'd say A, what's more, B, what's more, C. Look at this verse in the English Standard Version. It reads, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. There's a progression of involvement through the verse. Walking, standing, sitting. The middle verb stand means to take a stand or to stand firm with someone or something. Here's the progression. You see, it's one thing to walk alongside someone. It's another to stand firm with them. But to sit with someone expresses a deeper commitment. The word sit can be translated live with or dwell. It implies full participation with the actions of those with whom you are sitting. There's a progression of nouns as well. Counsel, way, seat. Counsel refers to their schemes. Ways refers to their actions. Seat, just like the verb, can mean home. Think of a way of life. So, there's a progression of verbs, there's a progression of nouns, finally there's a progression of people. Wicked, sinner, scoffer. The wicked fail to keep God's commands. The sinner makes sin a way of life. But the scoffer not only sins, but belittles those who don't. Now, the blessed one is careful whose company she keeps. Note This doesn't discourage us from loving the wicked, the sinner, the mocker. Consider the example of Jesus who dined with tax collectors and sinners. Psalm 1 really warns against participation, not association. It's about sharing in their sinful schemes. It describes a life immersed in evil. Now, you may not be immersed in evil. But before you write this off as a passage that doesn't apply to your life, take notice the verse suggests a gradual descent into evil. There is a natural but not so obvious slide from A to B to C, so beware. Overall, the verse says, fortunate is the one who deliberately keeps company with good people. Again, nobody's telling you to ruthlessly cut people from your social life. That being said, we dare not underestimate the influence of our friends. Some of you regularly operate in environments with people whose choices are not good and godly. That may not be a problem at all unless you want them to accept you, unless you really want them to respect you. Ask yourself who are the people you're most passionate about? Who are the guys and gals you most want to please? The people you delight in will determine your direction. Back to the NIV, verse one. Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked, or stand in the way that sinners take, or sit in the company of mockers. Verse two. But whose delight is in the law of the Lord. Friends, this is the key to a life of blessing. Law in Hebrew is the word Torah, or Torah. It's often, it often refers to the first five books of the Old Testament. But here, uh, the sense is more general. It means guidelines, instruction, teaching. The blessed one is one who delights in the instruction of God. Look back at the verse with me. To delight is to derive pleasure from something. In its verb form, it conveys a sense of joy and affection. So step into the application with me. Picture someone who cherishes cherishes God's instruction. Picture someone who can't wait to take their lunch break so they can break open the Bible. Are you still with me? Let me go further. Picture someone who longs for God's correction. His correction is a part of his instruction. Picture someone who longs for God's discipline. Sure, in one sense, it's hard to hear truth about yourself. But in another sense, you love learning and growing so much. It's worth it so much, so you seek it out. That is a person who delights in God's instruction. Does that sound crazy to you? Hey, don't picture a fanatic who foists his religion on innocent bystanders. Imagine a person widely recognized for his love and joy and peace Peace and patience and kindness. We're talking about people who constantly are growing in their love of God and their love of others, and they love growing. And people love being around them. Would you like to be one of those people? I'm telling you, your delights determine your direction. Your delights determine your direction. How different would you be if you learned to delight in God's principles? The path of the well-lived life begins there. But the question for us is... How? How do we muster up that kind of passion? This may seem a little out of reach. If you hate cauliflower, how do you drum up passion for cauliflower? Maybe the rest of the verse will offer some assistance. Back to verse one. Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked, or stand in the way that sinners take, or sit in the company of mockers. But whose delight is in the law of the Lord, and who meditates on his law day and night. To some Christians, meditation is a scary word, but it's an important word throughout the scriptures. In Hebrew, it's the word chagah. Say that with me. Chagah. Beautiful. Chagah. Means to murmur something under your breath. Linguistic experts consider it onomatopoeia. That is a word that sounds like it's meaning like splash or crash. In the ancient world, uh, in the ancient Hebrew world, the word chaga mimicked the sounds of low voices muttering. Chaga, chaga, chaga. Psalm 1 tells us the man or woman who's blessed meditates on God's instruction. Night and day. Now, as you read this, please note this isn't a legalistic command to constantly whisper scripture under your breath. It's about keeping God's truth in front of you throughout the day. Mulling it over. Giving it regular attention. In one of his recent books, writer and scholar Gene Peterson brought to my attention a connection I never observed. He reminded me of my childhood dog, Bandit. Now, Bandit was a great dog full of spunk and love, but Bandit was not a well-trained dog. Bandit demanded to be the center of attention at any given moment, and if he wasn't, he would go out of his way to get your attention. Well, that is unless you gave him a chew toy. We used to give Bandit uh, these rawhide chew toys that were coated in beef syrup. You know which ones I'm talking about? When Bandit got a hold of a syrup-coated bone, he would disappear for hours. Now, if you snuck up on him, you'd find Bandit somewhere in a corner, gnawing and licking, often making soft growling noises because he was obsessing over the bone. Peterson brought to my attention a passage from Isaiah, Isaiah 31, verse 4 as a lion or a young lion growls over its prey. Now stay with me, this is going somewhere. Picture a lion in the shade of a tree devouring a recently slain animal. He's focused, he's fixated, he's growling as he satiates his appetite. It's a graphic image, isn't it? If you're listening online, I have literally displayed a graphic image on the screen for them. It's terrible. Be thankful I cropped it. Look back in Isaiah 31. See in Hebrew, that word growl is the word chagah, to meditate. Do you get the picture? First, You chew on this side of God's teaching. Then you gnaw on that side of God's teaching until you've ingested the entire principle. How different would your life look if you learned to meditate on God's principles like that? Now, meditation throughout your day may seem impossible at first glance. You're too busy, right? Right? But you got to know, you already do this. Think about the things you think about. Food, fun, women, success, revenge, recognition, women. (laughs) Uh, Or or do you ever find yourself lost in an anger fantasy? You know what an anger fantasy is? An anger fantasy is a scenario uh, you play out in your head in which someone who Burned you, gets their comeuppance. Ho, <laughs> ho, sweet justice. <laughs> or, or, or maybe you, you lose a few moments to a hero fantasy in which you save the day, you get the crown, you make the deal, whatever. everyone in the office thinks of you as a hero and they carry you around on their shoulders and it's Fantastic. Those concentrated thoughts you mull over instinctively. That's meditation. Do any of you worry? I'm deliberately asking a dumb question. Do any of you worry? (laughs) Do you worry about your grades? Do you worry about your kids' grades? Do you worry about your performance at work? Do you worry about your CEO's opinion of you? Do you worry about your mother-in-law's opinion of you? When you worry... You toil, you fret, you fuss over an idea or an outcome, a negative outcome to be sure, but the action is the same. My mom had a word for this, stewing. What are you stewing about? How do you make a stew? You throw a bunch of ingredients into a pot that may or may not belong together, but you let them simmer and bubble and boil for hours. Some stews are good, but what's in your pot? Maybe we should have put that on a slide. What's in your pot? Post that on Facebook, McKenzie. Now see, my hunch is you're already an expert in meditation. It's just the blessed ones, the people who are blessed, meditate on something different than you. So try it as an experiment in real time. Find a passage or two from the Bible that applies to the circumstances of your life. See if you can learn to delight in his word. See if you, if you will naturally stay off the path of the wicked. Let me pick on the gentleman for a moment. L- let's say you struggle with lust. A-, a beautiful woman walks by. Your normal response may be to take a second look, to ponder the image, to mull it over, to muse on it. But what if instead you ponder the words of Job, Job thirty-one, one: I made a covenant with my eyes enough to look lustfully at a young woman. Two paths, two choices, two objects of delight, but only one leads to a life of blessing. My friends, your delights determine your direction. Your delights determine your direction. That's confirmed in the following. Let's read on because there's a description now of the one who delights in God's instruction. Verse 3, that person is like a tree planted by streams of water. The location of a tree largely determines its health. Uh, But the man of God who delights in and meditates on God's instruction is like a tree that has its roots near a stream. In fact, the verb indicates it was intentionally planted or transplanted there so it will receive Optimal nourishment. Look at the verse entirely, verse 3. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in season and whose leaves does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. What does it look like when the leaves of your tree are withering around the edges? Think of a time when you were spiritually disconnected. When your soul was neglected. When your soul was undernourished? Think of a season in which you felt disconnected from God. What were you like as a human? What was the state of your heart and mind? How did you feel? What flowed from you? Here are some of my words when I'm withering. Stressed. Overwhelmed. Harsh. Impatient. Irritated. Discouraged. Fussy. Hey, I'll confess. This was not a fuss-free week. Not for me. Nope. This week, I saw the impact of meditation when meditation is done wrong. Okay. It was one of these weeks. When nothing went according to plan, meetings were harder and longer than I expected. Conversations were more challenging. Details were more tedious. My plans for this weekend's message, which I crafted weeks ago, fell apart about midweek, which meant I had to start from scratch in my already overbooked week. I had early morning commitments. I had late night commitments. I was committed to everyone and everything except my well-being. Best week of my life. Love it. Sometime during the week, I caught myself meditating. I caught myself stewing. What an exhausting week. I don't know how I'm going to make it through it. Can a guy catch a brick? I mean, I work for God, for crying out loud. I replayed some of those conversations and frustrations, which naturally gave way to me. Fast forward into future conversations and frustrations, which go poorly, all the while dreading that I'm entering the busiest season of my calendar year. The movie series starts next week, and I have no idea what I'm doing, oh God. Yeah leaves got a little withering this week. But what if, rather than meditate on disappointing circumstances or disappointing people, what if I meditated on God's principles? The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. You give me everything I need to do everything you want me to do. Now, when I do that, the effect in my soul can be described with a completely different set of words than the ones I shared earlier. Try these on. Calm. Content. Creative. Grateful. Gentle. Generous. Funny. Even silly. I'm not saying silliness is a fruit of the Spirit, but it's often a fruit of my spirit when I'm stewing on God's principles. See, when I meditate on God's teaching, I see my circumstances through the eyes of faith. When I meditate on God's teaching, I look for the Lord. When I can't see him, I begin to see every event as an occasion in which he will confirm his competence and faithfulness to me. Does that sound familiar? Verse 3. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, and whose whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. Now, that's an interesting line. Uh, Psalm 1 is generally considered a wisdom psalm. That means it's wisdom literature. So it's like a proverb. So we should note that just like the proverbs, this verse is intended to communicate that which is generally true. This psalm doesn't promise that absolutely everything I ever attempt will be wildly successful. Here's the point. The one who delights in God's teaching, who meditates on God's teaching thrives like a tree planted near a never-ending water source. My life will bear fruit. My leaves will be healthy. My ministry and my marriage and my parenting and my finances will be better off than they'd be had I not embraced God's teaching in that way. My friends, if this is true, we better think about what we're thinking about. Dallas Willard says it more intelligently. He says... Mature human beings will be very careful about what they allow their minds to dwell on or allow themselves to feel. I'll read it again. More mature human beings will be very careful about what they allow their minds to dwell on or allow themselves to feel. We have more control than we think we do. You see... Your delights determine your direction. Your delights determine your direction. Now, y- you may not believe what I believe. You, you may not believe that the Bible is inspired by God. I do. I, I don't know. God speaks in many ways. Hopefully that will be confirmed next week. God speaks in many ways, but i found he especially speaks through that ancient book. I'm not alone. Countless people over the centuries have found the same thing to be true. But, but even if you don't believe that. Here's what I'd say. Start putting these principles into practice. Begin to mull over some of these principles you're learning as you journey with us. See if God proves himself real to you. Now, we've made it about halfway through a psalm. I intended to unpack the remaining three verses, but I'll tell you, as I sat down to write this message, it was already too long. A- and I felt that the homework I need to assign is so essential, we are going to skip... Verses 4 through 6. Read them out. In fact, we're going to skip the prayer I would normally pray at this point in the service, though I have a feeling we'll return to pray before the evening's over, before the day's over. Here I, I want to offer two assignments. Homework assignments for you to help you grow in your delight of God's instruction. Here's the first one. You ready? Memorization. some of you just groaned inwardly as I put that on the slide, didn't you? (sighs) Hey, in your defense, not many of us are good at memorization. My fifth grade teacher, Mr. Mueller, required his students to memorize many things other teachers didn't require. Now, how do you think other fifth grade students or how do you feel like my fellow fifth grade students responded when they found out other fifth grade students didn't have to do what we had to do. It's not fair. Mrs. Wilkins' class doesn't have to do this. Oh, he made us memorize all the helping verbs in the English language. Am is, are, was, were, be, bean, been, have, has, had, do, does, did, can, could, should, would, may, might, shall, will, must, boom. Boom, wasn't one of them, by the way. <laughs> he made us memorize prepositions about above, along, against, around, among, after, and across. That's just the letter A. I could go on. Now, most of his students granked about this assignment. And I don't know if it was a good way to teach grammar. But I do know that to this day, I can pick the preposition out of a sentence faster than most humans. It's more handy than you think. You see, his purpose was that we might have the relevant information ready when we need it. That's that's the purpose of memorizing the scriptures. It fills our minds with what we need so it's available when we need it. And hey, it's not that hard to memorize a few verses. Even for those of us with bum memories. It's amazing the things we tuck away in our minds. Recipes. Sports statistics. Quotes from the Simpsons. That's where I saw the leprechaun. He told me to burn things. You're not too young. You're not too old to try this. When I was a teenager... I I, I fell in love with God's word so much. I developed my own system of memorizing the scripture. I wrote verses on note cards. I committed them to memory and reviewed them regularly. And I will tell you, I grew so close to God during that season. Even though I was surrounded by teenage temptation. Maybe memorizing some passages from the Bible will help you to know him like it helped me when I was a teen. I'm going to make this a little easier on you want to give you a document. We call it Recommended Bible Verses. Creative title? I know I came up with it myself. Here's what it is. This is a a collection of verses that I have found meaningful through my life. This is... uh, We want to make this easy on you. Here's some of my favorites. They're all on this document. It is a PDF. You can download it from our online bulletin, bulletin bulletin.capitalchurch.com. You can... Uh, look for it on our social media account. We'll post it a little later this week. Uh, hey, if you'd like, just email us, info at Ask for this document we'll send it to you. So you can have it in your hands. We just want to make this simple. Start to commit some of these scriptures to memory. Uh, let me give you another discipline. The first one was memorization. Here's the second one, quite obviously, meditation. Meditation. Now, meditation is a way of reading the Bible that transcends intellectual engagement. Meditation personalizes the Bible. When I meditate on a passage, I read a text with Jesus, inviting him to reveal himself and his word to me for that moment. Now, let me give you an example of one of my favorite passages Isaiah 26, verse 3. I love this passage. And uh, it's been a while since I've reflected on it. So it's been great that I've done this at all four weekend services. It's helped me. Here it is. You keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. Okay. Before I show you how meditation works, let me explain the passage. The verse ends, uh, I'm sorry, the verse begins with the end. Perfect peace comes as an individual stays his or her mind on God. Now, the reason the individual takes the time and effort to focus attention on God is because of his or her trust in God. They know it's worth it. Okay. Let me show you how I do meditation. First, before I look to the verse, I give God my full Attention! I quiet my heart. I ask him to speak to me in the midst of my noisy life. Then I simply read the text. It's cool if you could do this alone, but don't frighten your co-workers and pets. You may want to do that alone. As I read the text slowly, I pause as important words jump out to me because that might be God speaking. So I listen aware of what God might be saying. How do you listen for God's voice? Well, you probably won't hear an audible voice. A- at first, God's thoughts will sound like your thoughts. But over time, you will learn to recognize when God is speaking to your heart like that. See, his words have a different tone. They don't sound like the crusty old thoughts you usually think. I've worked through Isaiah 26 so often I've learned to work through it backwards and that's what we'll do. We'll start with the last line because he trusts in you. The prophet's talking about someone who trusts God. So I start to ponder that word trust. I mull it over, process it. Maybe ask some questions of myself. How am I doing with trust lately? Am I really trusting God with my kids or do I find myself parenting like I have no God? Am I really trusting God to help me write this sermon? Or am I flailing about like it's all up to me? Now, if as I do that, I identify a lack of trust, maybe here I'll stop for confession, to ask forgiveness for my lack of faith, but also ask him to increase my faith. A good prayer to pray. Then the prophet talks about a mind stayed on God. Now, I usually read and teach from the NIV, the New International Version of the Bible. Uh, this is the English Standard Version and I like it for Isaiah 26 because of the way it uses that old verb, to stay. Now, we don't use that verb that way very often today, do we? To stay your mind on something. But the reason I like it is it's an accurate reflection of the original Hebrew sentence. As I'm thinking about a mind state on God, I consider the person who trusts God makes a concerted effort to stay his or her mind on him. She focuses her thoughts on him through the day. She remains connected to him. As I reflect on this verse, I ask myself, what would it look like for me to stay my mind on God today? Hey, I don't know about you, but I get so distracted by people and problems. I ask What can I do to increase my attention to Jesus throughout the day? Now, remember, I'm not just pondering this question myself. I'm engaging God about it. I ask him to help me stay my mind. Maybe I come up with ways that I can remind myself of his constant presence with me. Uh, Maybe I set my cell phone to buzz me. Buzzes in my pocket. Nobody notices, but it's just a simple reminder. And I remind myself when I feel it, the Lord is with me. The Lord is with me. The Lord is with me. Maybe I, maybe I take this verse. I put it on my computer screen. I put it on my phone screen. I put it on my dashboard. Find ways to stay your mind on God. Then I come to the final phrase, the result. If my trust in God leads me to stay my mind on him throughout the day, then he keeps me in perfect peace. First, the verb keep. Now, as I'm working through the verse, I know enough Hebrew to distract myself. By remembering that word keep uh, also means to guard, okay? So it's a protective word. You don't have to know Hebrew to discover that for yourself. Even the English word keep strikes me as an interesting word. God keeps me. Wait a minute. He keeps me? (coughs) If I stay my mind on him, God does the keeping. You see, I'm not forced to drum up my own peace. He keeps me in perfect peace. Okay, as I'm meditating on the scriptures, this might be a moment in which I engage God over my attempts to remain calm, cool, and collected. Because I try really hard to display the veneer of tranquility. But who am I kidding? Trying hard to be peaceful only makes me more stressed. But see, I, I have it all wrong. What's my job? I do the staying. He does the keeping. And look where he keeps me. Perfect peace. Now that should get your attention. Because we're not talking about peace. Everybody talks about peace. Now we're talking about perfect peace. Which sounds delightful. Again, I'm distracted by the language. Um, In Hebrew, uh, I don't... Hate to even share this with you because you're going to think you need Hebrew to do this. You don't, but it illustrates how brilliant this perfect piece is. Let me tell you, um, peace. Anybody guess what this word is in Hebrew? Shalom. You probably know that word. That's what it looks like. Shalom. Um, now, shalom means well-being, satisfaction, wholeness, fulfillment. It's one of my favorite words of the Bible. I love it more than I love Ashrei. Shalom. But our English translation describes the result as perfect peace, okay? He will keep us in perfect peace. Here's the Hebrew part. See, in ancient biblical Hebrew, they didn't have ways of expressing superlatives, okay? You know what a superlative is? Think EST on the end of the word, sharpest, smartest, goodest, right? So to emphasize a word, uh, to describe a word in its ideal form, a writer would double it. If I wanted to say perfect shalom, I'd say shalom, shalom. And that's what the text says. He will keep us in shalom, shalom. As I reflect on those words, perfect peace, (laughs) maybe here I'll have a conversation with God about what perfect peace might look like in the different areas of my life. Perfect peace in my marriage. Perfect peace with my staff. Perfect peace when I disappoint people, when I can't be everywhere I want to be, when I'm not as talented as I'd like to be. Perfect peace with difficult people. Perfect peace with growing people. Perfect peace with time management. Lord, did you really give me enough time to do everything you want me to do? Perfect peace. Peace. When I picture perfect peace, I want to go to there. But I don't go to there. I go to Him and He keeps me there. Remember what we read? How did I learn that? By meditating on a scripture. Then, as I conclude my meditation, I might respond with a word of praise, thanking Him, for his peace, and looking forward to carrying that scripture with me throughout the day. So here's your assignment: Try it for yourself. <clears throat> you could try it with this verse. I'll give you more if you're interested. Here's another document we've created: "Meditation Verses." Another great title for a document. Um, this is one that uh, uh, I think Tara recommended in a, in a message she delivered just just a few weeks ago. And so, or at least earlier in the summer, uh, when she delivered a great message about your thoughts, if you weren't here for it, download it and listen to it. It's fantastic. Uh, This is a document. What makes this different than the other one? The other one is a list of scriptures in chronological order. This is just a list of references, but it's uh, designed topically. And so we've arranged it around the topic of worry or the topic of anger, right? And so if... You have a particular issue in your life, a particular thing you'd like to study or, 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 or unpack with God, this might be a handy tool for that. So, again, online bulletin, look for it on social media info at capitalchurch.com. We'd love to get this in your hands. Now, I want to pray. But before I do, <clears throat> I got to ask how do we develop a desire for God's teaching? Let's get real. You may not have had a good experience with the Bible. When you open the book, all you find is boredom and irrelevance. Hear me. If that's your experience, you're not alone. Remember, the Bible is an ancient collection of writing written first to its ancient reader. The Bible doesn't read like a blog, so let's right-size our expectations. It's going to take the work to understand how to read the Bible. But I'm going to pray a particular prayer. I'm going to pray that God will change your experience with the Bible. And I'm going to pray that as he changes your experience with the Bible, he changes your desire. You know, desires aren't set in cement. There's a cold beverage we serve in the cafe. I believe it still has my name next to the menu. What is it? Sweet tea, right? How many of you are drinking sweet tea right now? Yeah, only like a handful. Well, good for you. You see, all my life, I had a passion for it. Oh, I grew up with it. If you travel through the South, it is everywhere. It comes out of the faucets. It does. I I could drink the stuff by the gallon. But I'll tell you, over time, I've completely weaned myself off of this sweet nectar. So much so, I can't stand the taste of it. Friends, hear me. That's a miracle. That is proof that there is a God. (laughs) Your desires aren't set in cement. Let God change your desires. Ask him to. That's what we're going to pray now. Let's bow our heads. Father, I thank you for my friends and I thank you for letting us end our summer on an important text. I know we're all in different places on this spiritual journey and some of the people in this room may think I'm crazy and they're probably right but I pray that you show them what you showed me long ago. If they give their lives to these principles, they will be blessed. And it will impact every single part of their lives for the better. So I pray you change our desires, give us a passion for your principles. I pray this in the name of King Jesus who came to show us how to live. Amen. Please stand. Here's a verse to take with you for the week, Psalm 19, verse 7. The law or instruction of the Lord is perfect, refreshing the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. Also this graphic, your delights determine your direction. If you'd like to download those, feel free to do so this week if it helps you grow closer to God. We have some friends that will be waiting here as the service ends. They'll be here to pray for you, make your way up, invite them to do so because they would love to help shoulder some of your burden before you leave. Here is my prayer for all of you. May you maximize your meals. And more importantly, may you find the delight of stewing on God's teaching instead of the stuff on which you've been stewing. Thanks for being here. Grace and peace.